A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. Connecting producers and consumers one story at a time. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome and thanks for joining me on a Thursday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff with the Midwest Farm Report. It's soggy outside. In the Madison area, we're seeing a chance for rain and snow this morning. That will lighten up this afternoon, but it'll still be gloomy. We'll have overcast for the rest of the day. In terms of temperatures, we'll have highs of around 40 degrees Ag meteorologist Stu Muck will join us shortly to give us more details and tell us what we can expect heading into the weekend. We're almost there. Tomorrow's Friday. Also in the hour, we'll hear from Mary Ledman with Rabobank. She's got some milk production insight for us. And Everag is calling in at the bottom of the hour for more on input costs and dairy demand. Thanks for hanging out with me on a Thursday. Compere Financial helped us get into our forever home. They helped me expand more than acreage. And helped our dairy grow for the next generation. At Compure Financial, we see potential in every plan. Our focus on exceptional client experience is at the heart of everything we do. And our financial team will help make every step easy and convenient. See why our clients trust us to make their goals possible. Compure Financial ACA is an equal opportunity lender and equal opportunity provider. And MLS number 619731, copyright 2021, all rights reserved. Looking for tillable acres, a modern dairy facility, a farm site, or ideal land for hunting? Don't miss the Monroe County, Wisconsin Building Sites and Farmland Auction. This timed online auction closes Tuesday, March 29th at 1 p.m. Steffes Group will be selling 375-plus acres to be sold in 10 tracks of various uses. Go to steffesgroup.com right now for drone footage and detailed building descriptions. For the Monroe County, Wisconsin Building Sites and Farmland Auction, closing Tuesday, March 29th. That's S-T-E-F-F-E-S group.com. Well, if you're a livestock producer here in the state of Wisconsin, you've probably visited a sale barn or two throughout your time. Aaron Zimmerman here at the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. And one of those businesses that has a lot of sale barns here in Wisconsin is Equity Cooperative Livestock. And Jill, you had the chance to talk to them and, you know, about their 100 years here in Wisconsin. Yes, I did, Aaron. This is Jill Welke from the northern end of the world's longest barn in Eau Claire. I had the opportunity to talk to Kurt Larson, president and CEO of Equity Cooperative. We talked about their 100-year celebration and their markets of last year. We're celebrating our 100 years here in 2022. Um, our history goes back to 1922. Uh, we were actually formed by uh, 44 different local shipping associations. They decided they wanted to band together, uh, have a little more strength in their, their marketing of livestock for their producers, and they created uh, Equity Cooperative Livestock Sales Association down in Milwaukee on the Terminal Exchange, and that was uh, that's really where we got our start. Uh, we're still operating under the same structure today. We, we're, we're down a little bit. We have 34 uh, local shipping associations down from the 44 wheels originally started with 100 years ago but uh, yeah we're pretty excited to be at that 100 year point looking to do some exciting things throughout the summer to recognize that milestone still having the ability to move an awful lot of cattle through the markets that's right 
Typically in a normal year, we'd market about 700,000 head of livestock. Uh, last couple of years with COVID, we've been down uh, closer to 600,000, but uh, still pretty substantial numbers. One of the keys we talk about is the changes we've seen over 100 years. Um, you know, again, we started down in Milwaukee on the terminal exchange in, in the, the 40s and 50s. Uh, management thought it might be a, a good time to bring that marketing out a little closer to the producers instead of having to bring all the livestock to Milwaukee. So we did uh, substantial investments, uh, built up our auction markets in the country, and uh, brought the brought the markets out that really gave us an opportunity to add to what we offered to producers again when we're in milwaukee on the terminal exchange everything was slaughter going through there Uh, but by coming out to the country we are able to do more replacement cattle more beef more calves and then even on the feeder side uh, we have some pretty substantial feeder sales and here in the last few years the uh, the sheep and goat market has really taken off for us as well so a lot of exciting things going on uh, through some of those changes what about last year's markets? How did they turn out? 2021 was uh, kind of a continuation of 2020. Things slowed down pretty substantially there in uh, April and May of 2020. And we're still, quite honestly, still trying to get everything back to, to where it was back prior to that. A lot of the processing plants still are not operating at 100%. They're still struggling to find enough employees. You know, recently, we've had a little bit of trouble with uh, some of the trucking. Uh, we had one plant uh, finally had employees there and had to send them home because they were having some trucking issues getting all the livestock in they needed to have in that day. So, you know, just about the time we think we're turning the corner, we get some other roadblock thrown at us. So, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, 2021 was better than 2020, uh, no question, but uh, certainly not back to the numbers we were seeing in 17, 18, 19. We did partially expect that though. We are in, in a bit of a down cycle here in the livestock cycle. So we know there's fewer animals out there. So obviously when, when there's fewer animals, there's going to be less to be marketed. From what we're seeing from some of the experts in the industry, it looks like um, be a little bit further reduction in 2022, maybe even into 2023 before we start to, to see a little bit of an uptick. So force us to be a, a little more efficient in what we're doing, but uh, hopefully create a little bit more demand for what is out there and, and we can continue to see some better prices. What about the addition of the organic? Has that been an easy transition or has it been a little bit of a challenge? Like everything, anytime you try something new, there's a learning curve to it. You know, the organic is, has been a, an interesting uh, endeavor for us. One of the challenges we face is there is no commercial harvest for those organic animals in Wisconsin. So, you know, most of our buyers are taking them um, Nebraska, Oklahoma, or Ohio. So it does take a little bit more sound animal to make that kind of a ride. So even though some animals come in organic, buyers don't see them making that kind of a ride. So they sell on the conventional side uh, to, to a closer uh, processor just to make sure they get to where they're going uh, okay. But yeah, it's been a good service, I think, to offer to the producers. We continue to see it growing. But again, when they got to leave the state, it kind of puts us into a challenge. It's pretty much got to be a Monday or Tuesday sale uh, in order to get them on a truck and get them where they need to be. Obviously, nobody wants to, to buy them on Thursday or Friday and have them held over the weekend. So so it has to be Monday or Tuesday sales. And then it does require us to, to designate some space in the barns, uh, pre-sale and post-sale. So it, it's got to be a barn that has the space to designate to that on a Monday or Tuesday. So some of our barns get pretty busy on a Monday or a Tuesday, so it's a challenge to try to designate that space. But uh, we're up to, I think, six markets now certified. So again, we're trying to, to look at where there's a need for it and, and where we can meet the need. Uh, you know, We knew going into it, it probably wasn't going to be a fit at every market. Again, if it's a, a place we can offer it and there's a need for it, we're happy to take a look at it. Um, it does take uh, quite a bit more paperwork on our end to, to do all the documentation and keep it all straight. But um, so far, our staff stepped up and, uh, and they're getting it figured out. Gathering those buyers for your conventional animals and for your 
organic? Are those buyers still out there and you're able to keep them coming? That's a great question. You know, when you start talking about buyers, there's uh, different buyer categories for the different uh, types and, and kinds of cattle that you move. As far as the slaughter side, those buyers are all still pretty much the same as they were pre-COVID. Some of them have some bigger challenges now with staffing and number of animals they're able to take than maybe they did before COVID, but, but they're all still there. They're still in the market and we continue to see that chugging along. I guess when you start to look at replacement animals or feeder cattle or even calves, one of the spots we see uh, avoid probably is... Um, you know, people that want to take those baby calves home on milk and, and get them up to the point that they can be switched over to grain. Those calf raisers, uh, that's a, a bit of a tough business to be in and plenty of demand for feeder cattle if you can get them to 300 or 500 pounds. But uh, somebody wanting to take a, a baby calf home, put it on milk and, uh, and get it weaned off and transitioned over. You know, there's plenty of opportunity there, I believe. With all the Packers issues, how has equity dealt with it or how, how have you guys felt it? We think we've had a pretty good relationship with our with our buyers through this whole thing. Uh, they worked pretty good with us to get cattle moved that had to move. Um, you know, I go back to, to April of 2020. Dairy processors had a huge task uh, when food service kind of dried up and they had to transition basically everything over to the retail side. And that caused some problems. There was a time period there was some substantial amounts of milk being dumped. Our processors all worked very close with us to help us get, you know, really focused on those cows and and get that cow herd down so we didn't have as much milk production to deal with. And then even after that, once we did get transitioned back to some of the fed cattle, most of what we were dealing with, we didn't see big discounts. You had some pretty oversized cattle. You had some pretty fat cattle at that point. The Packers certainly, hey, they could have even stepped up and said, no, we're going to avoid some of these contracts because, I mean, on the hog side, you've seen a lot of that. The dairy side, there was some challenges with that milk being dumped. Uh, from our perspective, we think on the beef side, we we did pretty remarkable to get everything moved and minimize the discounts um, from that front. I did just speak uh, you know, some of the other stuff in the press here lately, looking at meatpacking consolidation, lack of capacity, some of those things. I just uh, recently had an opportunity to participate in a panel for the National Council of um, Farmer Cooperatives at their annual meeting, and, and that was kind of our focus. That was one of the things they had us talking about. And there's a big question when you want to talk about capacity. Right now, again, most of our slaughter plants are not operating. The USDA has some numbers they put out on capacity, and they're basing it off facilities at full staffing mm-hmm. operations. 40-hour weeks. And right now, most plants are not at full staffing, so they're not at you've got ex, you've got unused capacity there because they can't properly staff. But if we look at the numbers, we're actually processing above what that 40-hour capacity would be. So if you think about the number of Saturdays and Sundays that have been processed, or even some of these plants that work 10-hour shifts, a lot of them have gone five or six shifts a week instead of just four. So, you know, what this really tells us is is even back to 2016, we see this pattern that our meat processing employees have, have really been putting in a ton of overtime here the last few years to, to keep all these cattle moving. And, you know, so talking about adding plants and adding capacity, I'm not I'm not sure that's the answer on a couple of fronts. Uh, you know, number one, most of our plants aren't properly staffed now. So if they were, we would probably have just about enough capacity here for 2022, but definitely into 2023. So to add plants, you're going to add additional capacity that we probably don't need with the downturn in the livestock cycle. But then the other thing is you're still going to be fighting for employees because if the current plants can't properly staff, you're going to go build new plants and now you're trying to find even more employees. And so I'm just not sure that that's uh, going to be a, an exciting endeavor for some individuals. What do our future markets look like? Locations? 
Equity did purchase a piece of property a couple years ago, uh, just north of our Stratford Market uh, on Highway 97. An opportunity came along, a, a farm was being sold, and there was a piece of property that, that was offered to us. At that point, we had no plan, so we, we, we took advantage of the opportunity and purchased the property. And then we got in gear and got a, a market design to put on there. We got the price tag back and had a little bit of sticker shock when you start to look at 5 or $6 million investment to put up a new market. You want to make sure you've got the right, uh, the right design, you're in the right location, all that stuff. Um, and of course, that was about the time uh, the egg economy started to turn on us a little bit and then COVID hit. So projects all on hold right now. And again, definitely before we go back to that kind of an investment, we'll be doing some serious studying as to where the best place to be is uh, for that kind of an investment. So, But as of right now, we're trying to uh, to maintain and, and make a few improvements to our current markets and, and keep everything going like it is. And uh, we'll see uh, once COVID settles down a little bit here where things are at and, uh, and what it looks like we need to be doing next. How do you think that the drought out west and the drought in South America are going to affect our markets here in the United States? As far as the drought out west, we know uh, fourth quarter 2021 was a record beef cow uh, harvest. Uh, so we know there's uh, cow numbers are down uh, drastically. And we're still seeing pretty solid cattle on feed numbers as well as uh, placements into the feedlots, which tend to indicate to us that the heifers are continuing to go that route as opposed to being held back, which I guess makes some sense when you think about why producers out west are having to ship the cows because of the wildfires and the droughts and, and not having pasture, not having feed. If you don't have that to keep the cows, I guess you don't have it to keep the heifers back. So, But the challenge is at some point trying to get the herd rebuilt or starting from a much smaller nucleus. And once those heifers are gone, now we've got fewer cows to calve, we've got fewer heifers. We, we're just going to take a longer time to get it uh, get it built back. And a lot's going to determine be determined here in the next uh, six months probably on what we see out west with uh, whether we have another summer of wildfires or we're able to see some pretty solid precipitation out there and those guys are able to get their pastures back in order and, and get some feed built back. And as far as the South America thing, there's a lot of world events going on right now and I'm not sure where exactly South America is going to play into that. Um, logistically, uh, exporting products can be a challenge right now just with the logistics side of it. So I'm not real sure what we're going to see uh, in the world markets here in the next few months, but um, we, we got plenty of issues at home to keep an eye on here, I think. And that was Kurt Larson, President and CEO of Equity Cooperative Livestock. And I'm Jill Welke from the northern end of the world's longest barn. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. I've had the opportunity to be involved in several programs in the Wisconsin Farm Bureau one of which was the Farm Bureau Institute. It's a great leadership program to help develop leadership skills, whether it's social media skills or the opportunity to speak to legislators and learn different ways and tools you can use to help get your message across. WFBF.com. It really helped my leadership develop. A voice for farmers, a vision for agriculture, Wisconsin Farm Bureau. Rural Mutual Insurance. Keeping Wisconsin strong. Wisconsin winters are a polarizing experience. You either love them or you want to leave them. Be sure to enter the Rural Mutual Insurance Love It or Leave It sweepstakes, where each week you can win prizes by voting for the things you love and dread about winter. Visit us at RuralMutual.com to vote. Rural Mutual Insurance. Keeping Wisconsin strong.
What to do with three days off each week? A quick trip up north? Hit the bike trails around the Driftless? Or just lounge around binge-watching your favorite movies? When you work at Cardinal Glass in Mazamani, your career is world-class so you can live first-class. You work four days a week with three days off. Cardinal Glass in Mazamani is now hiring production associates and maintenance, competitive pay, advancement opportunities, medical, dental, vision, profit-sharing, and more. Apply today at cardinalglassmazo.com. Here we use a lot of F words. Food, fiber, and farming. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. And I've got another F word for you, forecast. That's what we've got for you right now with our egg meteorologist, Stu Muck. Good morning, Stu. It's another wet day today, but I think the rain may be holding off a bit, at least going further into the day. Well, yeah, it's going to start to taper off here and end, Stephanie. That's the good news. But we are pretty wet, and there's going to be some fog around with it and another chance of precipitation to wrap up the week. From what I see, rainfall amounts yesterday may not have been as heavy as what we saw, especially Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. But everything we've picked up, an additional 39 hundredths of an inch at Madison, 15 hundredths of an inch at La Crosse, uh, 29 hundredths of an inch at, at Fond du Lac. That's all pushed us to about an inch or just a little over an inch. So it's plenty wet. There's no doubt. Low pressure off to our east this morning. And the radar still indicating scattered light snow from northeast into southwest Wisconsin and all points east. A little snow trying to mix in or changing over La Crosse and near Mauston. Not going to amount to much, but a little snow may catch in the grassy areas. And with temperatures on the cooler side in the lower 30s, even that rain may be a bit slick, a little icy in some protected spots where it may have frozen. If you're getting on the road this morning, be prepared. You may find those stray spots. Overall, though, I expect just a little light rain on and off for a time today, mixing with changing over to some snow for a time as well, and then finally ending later tonight. An Alberta Clipper-type system drops in from the northwest. Could mean just a little light snow around here as we make our way toward later Friday. I'll have forecast details right after this. Farmers understand return on investment. They understand the power and the value of the sun. Cameron Olson, owner of Olson Solar Energy. This is just another opportunity for them to look for that power and that value. It's a business decision. Everything that farmers do and don't do on their land and with their property is money. (laughs) So one of the things that I heard one farmer say, it's a crop that I am yielding. (laughs) Uh, Instead of harvesting corn on this little section, he's harvesting sunlight to make electricity. You should reach out to us and we will come out there for a very specialized, specific quote for you to look at your farm. We can put solar anywhere. We can put it on a barn. We can put it on the ground. We can put it on a hill. (laughs) So we can put it anywhere that makes sense to you and your farm and your situation. And then once we design that, even powering your whole farm, you can harvest enough sunlight to have a $0 energy bill. Go to OlsonSolarEnergy.com to start saving. Go green, save green with Olson Solar Energy. As Stu said, that rain will taper off today. Stu, I don't know if you remember yesterday, Kirby by La Crescent reported an inch of rain. Now he's got just under two tenths since then. Uh, But yes, be careful of fog and be careful of slippery roads this morning. Absolutely. And watch out for some of that fog. Cloudy skies, patchy fog around during the day today. Some very light rain in the east, very light snow in the west. It'll change over in the east here a bit later as well. Now, temperatures will be in the very upper 30s and very low 40s. I'd put it in a range of about 38 to 42. And the north winds will be around 5 overnight. 
some of that very light rain or snow ending in the eastern part of the state, and we'll have some fog and mostly cloudy skies dropping down to the low 30s with the west winds at 5. And then there's tomorrow, mostly cloudy, breezy, and there's that possibility of a little light rain or snow to develop as we head toward midday or in the afternoon. Very low 40s, the west winds 5 to 15, increasing and gusting to 35. And then some morning clouds Saturday, sunshine a bit later, upper 30s for high Saturday, and still brisk. Northwest winds could gust near 30, Stephanie. Probably going to feel pretty chilly yet on Saturday, improving for Sunday with more sun. Looking forward to improvement, but still, will any of that snow be measurable? Just it may catch on the grass or on the truck hood, something like that. It'll go away pretty quick. All right. Well, that's nice to hear. Have a good one, Stu. Aaron, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Um, looking forward to forecast into the weekend. That's Stu Muck. He's our ag meteorolo- meteorologist here at the Midwest Farm Report. Stay tuned for a look at the dairy complex coming up next. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Looking to grow new ideas for your farm? Then visit the WPS Farm Show. For 60 years, farmers have been coming to the show for the latest in farm equipment, services, and technology to boost their business. Don't miss this year's show, filled with ideas to help you grow. Mark your calendar for March 29th through the 31st at the EAA grounds in Oshkosh. For more information and a full list of exhibitors, visit WPSFarmShow.com. You can rely on Blaine's Farm and Fleet for quality products at fair and honest prices. Like red brand fencing. Right now, take $15 off 4 foot by 300 foot 12 and a half gauge sheep and goat fencing. King Cutter in stock XB three point attachments, now 10% off. Maisel welded wire fencing, now 15% off. Make sure your pet's kennel is clean and fresh with Premier Pet Red Cedar Bedding, a five cubic foot bag on sale $7.99. Your choice of three tine forged hay forks or four tine manure forks with a 48 inch wood handle from Seymour, now $24.99. Plus, check out these great doorbuster deals. Men's Tingley 13 inch PVC rubber boots, just $23.99. And Diamond and Diamond Naturals 28 to 55 pound bags of dog food, now $3 off. And visit us at the Midwest Horse Fair in Madison, Wisconsin, April 22nd through the 24th. Find value at Blaine's Farm and Fleet. Some spaces become a catch-all for everything you want to keep in storage. Make use of that wasted space now. What about the basement? Rec rooms and office, extra bedrooms for growing teenagers are all popular uses for an upgraded basement. Actuate Improvement is a full-service design and remodeling company specializing in kitchens, baths, and basements. Let's get the conversation started with a complimentary estimate, consultation, and suggestions. ActuateLLC.com. Design. Create. Actuate. Hi, I'm Julie Bowen for the March of Dimes, asking you to help save premature babies. As a mother of three healthy boys, it makes me sad to think that more than a million babies around the world die every year because they're born too soon, and that our country has one of the highest rates of infant death of any developed country. Let's work together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchOfDimes.com to find out how you can make a difference in your community and around the world. What's the difference between shopping William Thomas Custom Jewelry and a franchise jewelry store? The young rep at the franchise store probably knows more about their cell phone than they do exquisite jewelry. And where will they be in the future when you need them? 
William Thomas Custom Jewelry is a Madison original, and they'll be here for you whenever you need them. Creating one-of-a-kind pieces and here for the long haul. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration, your custom jeweler. Looking for extra cash? Did you witness a crime? Or maybe you have information about ongoing criminal activity in the Madison area. We give cash for clues. Madison Area Crime Stoppers is a nonprofit organization that helps prevent and solve crimes in our community by working with Dane County residents, law enforcement agencies, and media partners. So how does it work? When you share information with Crime Stoppers, a confidential code will be generated to protect your identity. If your tip results in an arrest and filing of criminal charges or the apprehension of a fugitive, you'll receive a cash reward. Keep your tip ID and password so you can check the status of your tip. Once the arrest or apprehension is confirmed, arrangements will be made for you to collect your reward anonymously. Your confidentiality is important to us. Any individual who contacts Crime Stoppers will always remain anonymous. Call 608-266-6014 or go to p3tips.com. Madison Area Crime Stoppers, your safety is always our priority. When we help accident victims, we fight to get them full justice, nothing less. That means all of the losses your injuries cause, medical bills, lost wages, and compensation for all your pain and suffering, now and in the future. I'm John Rihala. At Clifford & Rihala, we rely on thorough analysis, detailed preparation, and a strong compassion for our clients to help you achieve your maximum recovery. Over decades of helping accident victims, we've built a track record of success that you can trust. When you choose Clifford & Rihala, we'll fight to make those responsible for your injuries pay you nothing less than the full compensation you deserve to make things right. For relentless dedication to helping you and your family, choose Clifford & Rihala, hardworking, skilled attorneys fighting for you for justice myjustice.com brewers were coasting into the playoffs the brewers had such a huge they lead they were resting on their laurels they had such a huge lead going into september Yanni. they didn't have to do much laurels. and st louis was the team that was surging but also if you remember st louis had a ton of players that were hurt last year yeah they had, yeah st louis's pitching staff was decimated with injury. I know Wainwright had a really good throwback year and it's like, Hey, can he do that again when he's 40? But you had Jack Flaherty that was out. You had uh, their closer that got hurt. I mean, they had a lot of pitchers who were hurt, especially in the, I think at one point they were missing their top three or four uh, pitchers in their starting rotation. Now, if the Cardinals stay healthy and maybe the Brewers lose a guy or two, we might be talking about a really close race here, but I think barring injury, everything, uh, Everything healthy, I think the Brewers have to be the favorite. Hell yeah, dude. Obviously, Vegas is telling us that. So, mm-hmm. RJ, you said you had it at 88 and a half. 88 Rowdy half. found it at FanDuel at 89 and a half. half. Talk a little more baseball. New rules out in Major League Baseball. The Shohei Otani rule is now uh, being what one of them is dubbed. But, Rowdy, break it down a little bit for us with these, uh, these couple new rules in Major League Baseball, my friend. Yeah, there were three more rules that they were agreed upon between Major League Baseball and the players. And one... Start of April, the month of April, since the lack of spring training and just the number of at-bats and times players got out there, they're going to make the rosters 28-man rosters from April. Remember, dating back to last year, they increased the 25-man roster to 26 just in general. So now that 26 will be moved up to 28. I think that only benefits the Brewers 
you look at a team that uh, Stearns loves to move like his bottom three or four relievers back and forth between AAA and Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. I think that only will bolster the Brewers bullpen. We know that they like to go to him early. The other rule, which I feel like some, I feel like people are 50-50 on this rule. It's the ghost runner starting at second base in yeah. extra innings again. Mm-hmm. Using that as a way, once again, saying because players didn't have the normal amount of spring training and time to get ready that they don't want injuries and this solves the game ending quicker. And then the one that you were talking about, Ebo, it's the one they're dubbing the Shoei Otane rule. It's the rule where a pitcher can remain as the DH even when they're done pitching. And now we're going to see that in both leagues since there's yeah, a universal, universal DH. DH. Yeah, but how many pitchers can actually do that? Otani. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani. Okay. It's that's, AKA, that's the, why they named it the, the Shohei Otani, Otani rule. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, Brandon I Woodruff. I bring it up because you said Brandon it Woodruff, no. RJ. He hit a bomb off of yeah. Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. This is one thing that does hurt the Brewers a little bit. We talked about, I think it's more strategy when there's not DH involved. No, there absolutely is. And we know that Craig Council, setting aside going to, going to the bullpen early, is very good at manipulating the bullpen and Mm -hmm. pinch hitters and and all that stuff. Yeah. I think it hurts the Brewers because you think about this, the Brewers had a lot of pitchers that could hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You had Hauser that could hit. Who had two? Was it Hauser or two bombs last year? You had, and it was off the same pitcher for the Marlins in different series. (laughs) You had Lauer who can hit. He hit a home run. Yeah. We all know that Woodruff can hit. He hit a home run off of Clayton freaking Kershaw in the NLCS. We know that. Corbin Burns can hit a little bit. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody in that rotation outside of Freddie Peralta could hit a little bit. <laughs> hit a little outside. bit. And that's a, that's a huge hit advantage. A little bit of a love for you. If you think about it, all the other guys, most of the other teams, <laughs> their pitchers are giving you absolutely nothing in the nine hole. Yeah. Brewers were getting a little bit of something from their, their pitchers. Well, now it's going to be a universal DH. So now you have to find a, a DH. I will say this, though. I think I would take, in in some games, I think I would take the four starting pitchers for the Milwaukee Brewers being Lauer, Hauser, Woodruff, and Burns over Jackie Bradley Jr. in a lot of games last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a guy that was legitly a player in the field who was hitting like 160. And Saw that. <laughs> so, and man. they traded him away. And That's they got uh... Hunter Renfro who's now going to make about seven and a half yep. million dollars this year. I think his R projection was about seven million Yeah, for Jackie Bradley jr. Who was going to make nine and a half. And he had an option for the following year. Our guy Stearns wow. at it again. Big. Wow. Hit a little bit. And basically if Renfro comes in and plays like he did the last few years, he's going to basically replace Avisel Garcia and potentially even have more pop. Yeah. Hell of a deal. Hell of a deal. What way to go, Stearns? Hell of a deal. Hit a little bit. Hit a little bit. She's sweeter than a glass of chocolate milk and louder than a morning rooster. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome back and thanks for joining us on a Thursday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. We're talking with a dairy economist about what milk production looks like globally and what that means for Wisconsin dairy farmers. Mary Ledman is a global dairy strategist with Rabobank. 
She gives us the update. So milk production around the world is lower than the prior year, and it's not just in the U.S., but it's also in Europe and Oceania, U.S. and South America. In total, those regions account for about 80% of the global trade in dairy products. What's causing this? Is this a trend? No, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's um, a trend, uh, but, but there are factors Im- impacting this. So first of all, Oceania, New Zealand, and Australia Uh, Their milk production is largely, largely impacted by climatic factors. And so um, milk prices to dairy farmers are near record high there in in Australia and are at record highs for New Zealand. And still they can't get more milk. And the reason for that is that they had a very wet, cold spring. And keep in mind their spring is our autumn. And then in January, their summer, they got hit with just like, as my analyst there says, things were crispy. So it was really weather driven. In the U.S., we had very low milk prices, say in June and July here. We saw um, farmers' margins compressing. We saw the coal rates increase. And uh, and, and now we're about 100,000 cows below a year-ago levels. And so we're not, we're not going to increase milk per cow to offset that. And, and one of the reasons we're not increasing milk per cow is just silage quality and price of feed and forages are so high that dairy producers um, are maximizing profit and not necessarily production. And that's true um, in Europe and the United States, where I'd say it's more margin compression that's resulted in lower year-over milk production, whereas in um, Oceania and South America, I'd say it's more climatic factor. Is this a permanent change? You know, I I think these are blips. Um, You know, we've had prices at this level before. Um, do I think we're going to go down below $17 anytime soon? No, but do I think we'll hit below $17 still in the next five years? Absolutely. So um, I think we need to keep that in mind that that uh, there are some pretty extenuating circumstances in our markets today. Um, but, but having said that, you know, one of the factors here, you look at where soybean prices are and biodiesels and the low carbon f- uh, fuel credits that are going to those biodiesel plants that's going to keep soybeans tight. You know, what implication does that have for for, for corn? And, and so it's really a domino effect here that is really, for the time being, keeping the agricultural complex prices elevated. And we haven't touched on cow movement yet, but that's another topic of conversation. The migration of cattle um, around the U.S. for one reason or another. One, why are they leaving and are they coming to the Midwest? Well, it depends what your definition of the Midwest is. So uh, we have seen uh, increased cow numbers in some of the regions, largely South Dakota. They've had new processing capacity. Um, as we've talked in this conference, you build, you build it, they will come. And so um, cows will continue to migrate or the daughters of you know, cows that are in Wisconsin will migrate perhaps to South Dakota or, or elsewhere. Where the, where the new plants are. Correct, where the new plants are. Are we seeing changing demographics in our farms and who's farming? And is that playing a role in milk production and cow movement? Well, that's a great question. Last night I sat at a table with a dozen producers, and I was the oldest one by a decade. Um, and so I'm, I'm turning 60 this year, and I always used to be one of the youngest people at these meetings. And so 
I mean, I remember coming to meetings here where there was a lot more white and bald men, and I'm just thrilled to see the amount of men and women who who have hair and are younger, and uh, so I see a real vibrant community here in Derry. Mary Ledman joining us with a milk production update and what the industry looks like globally. Mary is a global dairy strategist with Rabobank. I've got your markets coming up next. Wisconsin Farm Bureau makes me a better advocate for agriculture because of the leadership development opportunities that I can participate in, specifically the Leadership Institute where you get to dive into the specifics of advocating for agriculture, policy development, and even more. WFBF.com. They work for you while you're working the farm. A voice for farmers, vision for agriculture, Wisconsin Farm Bureau. Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Rural Mutual Insurance recently issued a special dividend to support their auto, home, farm, and business customers to help keep Wisconsin strong. This dividend will pay out over $5 million back to their policyholders. Visit RuralMutual.com to learn more. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Soil health. It's the top priority at Midwestern BioAg. It's the first thing they consider with every product at every step. It's designed to build healthy, biodiverse soils to support healthy soil, resilient crops, and higher yields. Midwestern BioAg offers biological fertilizers to optimize yields during the growing season, all the while building healthy soil for the future. To learn what a Midwestern BioAg program can do for you, visit MidwesternBioAg.com. Midwestern BioAg. Better farming through better soil. Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Rural Mutual Insurance recently issued a special dividend to support their auto, home, farm, and business customers to help keep Wisconsin strong. This dividend will pay out over $5 million back to their policyholders. Visit RuralMutual.com to learn more. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. We just heard from Mary Ledman with Rabobank on what's happening globally with milk production. If you're thirsty for more on the dairy complex, we've got Everegg broker Zach Bowers joining us shortly. But first, let's take a look at our commodity markets. From Chicago, cash corn is down four and a half cents. December new crop corn is trading at six seventy and three quarters, down a penny and a half. Cash beans are down ten cents. November new crop soybeans are trading at fourteen ninety eight. That's also down ten cents. Cash wheat down a nickel and three quarters. July new crop wheat trading at 10.87, down four and a quarter cents. Moving on to class three milk, the April contract is trading at 24.20 a hundredweight. That's down a penny. May milk is trading at 25.15 a hundredweight. That's up six cents. On the close yesterday, barrel cheese was up three and a half cents at 2.19. The 40 pound block cheese up three cents at 2.24. And double A butter up a half a cent at two eighty and a quarter. And as we know, markets are influenced in part by the weather. That's why I want to share this conversation with Eric Snodgrass. He's the chief atmospheric scientist with Nutrien Ag Solutions, giving us some perspective on spring weather and how that'll impact agriculture. Yeah, this year, unlike a year ago, I think we could have an increased risk of severe weather, especially, like I said, east of the Mississippi River. Uh, you know, we, we saw last year, we were below average on all metrics, tornadoes, severe wind, and hail. In fact, hail was down below 40% of normal. 
I wouldn't expect that again this year. It seems as though the atmosphere has really been, I mean, we watched two big outbreaks in December, a big one that happened in Iowa back in early March. These kind of things seem to be on the uptick as we go into spring. So I would be prepared for another active year in severe weather. Thunderstorms and tornadoes? Yeah, I mean, we're in Wisconsin, right? We, we get it all here, and I certainly think this is going to be a year where we're going to be looking to the sky quite a bit for some, for some nasty stuff. Well, thank goodness no earthquakes yet, though, in Wisconsin. <laughs> but, you know, that leads me into temperatures now. Are we going to, is it going to be toasty this summer? You know, if the drought area expands east, then the answer to that is yes. At this particular point, to say that we're going to be just, you know, highly, a big deviation from normal, it's not that clear yet. So I couldn't speculate on what those summer temperatures are going to be. But what we worry about is just the wrong time of a hot spell. If it comes right when our corn's pollinating or if it hits at that time period of the year where we can put extra stress on the cows, I mean, this, this, is, this is what we have to watch out for. But predicting exactly when and where that's going to be, it's a bit of a challenge. Most long-range forecasts do have us on a more mild than normal summer at this particular point, though. Obviously an impact on agriculture, as you mentioned. What's unique about your work, you have a global look, but let's look nationally. Sure. Where are your eyes? You mentioned droughts out west, maybe severe weather down south, and how that will impact Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I think the drought in the west is going to be the most critical, s simply because California went through the, the almost the entire second half of its winter without a drop of precip. So we think about California as a big leader in, in agricultural productivity, especially milk, and their reservoirs aren't full and the mountain snowpack isn't there. I, I mean, I really am worried about my friends in California dealing with what this is going to be in the upcoming season because basically what they buy every winter is just enough moisture to get them through the next dry season. And that dry season starts basically at the end of April, and it won't precipitate there again in any sort of meaningful way probably till October. So it's the stress there is huge. And it's also just on the other side of the mountains as well, in the central plains. So I'm concerned more about drought this year than I've been in a very long time. And another storm like Hurricane Ida in a major port could also be an issue. Yeah, well, the ocean temperatures in the Atlantic are still warm. So if they stay warm, that just is more supportive of, of when a hurricane forms for it to have more energy to tap into. So where's our risk this year? It's still elevated. What could bring it down is if an El Nino all of a sudden develops more rapidly than we predict. That ends ends up increasing wind shear across the Atlantic, slows them down a bit. Right now, though, we're not seeing that. So I think it's going to be another one of those years where we see above average activity. And you got to remember, it only takes one, right? It just takes one to be disruptive. And so we'll watch out for that. But remember, we got some time. That starts in August, September, October. Let's get to that point first where we start to worry. That's just a piece of my conversation with Eric Snodgrass. Again, he's that chief atmospheric scientist with Nutrient Ag Solutions. You can listen to the full conversation with Eric Snodgrass at the Midwest Farm Report podcast page. Stay tuned for Ever Eggs. Zach Bowers coming up. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Huh. Nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. Goes wall to wall like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, 
helping our neighbors in need. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Because we know your barn smells like money. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. All right, welcome back. And now we can dive right into dairy with our Everett broker here this morning, Zach Bowers. Zach, you got a good look at the milk production report this week. Why don't you paint the picture for us as to what it means for Wisconsin? Yeah, so uh, really the name of the game as of recently, as of you know, the last couple months, and probably as your listeners have heard us preach for those last couple months, has been milk production. Um, and that milk production has been not only domestically, but globally on the decline. Um, and once again this week, uh, on Tuesday, we got the USDA milk uh, production report for February. Uh, and for the fourth consecutive month, we were down on milk production year over year, uh, with February being down 1%. Uh, and some of the Notable ones there is California is down uh, just shy of a percent. Southwest, uh, which is going to be your New Mexico, Texas area, down 2.2%. So the the Southwest, California, where we've really seen uh, major drawdowns in milk production, and and most of that being driven by, uh, you've got some environmental reasons, water issues down there driving up an already expensive feed cost to uh, there in a milk shed that pays a heavy class four price. So for the last couple of years, really, they haven't had a very decent milk check. Um, so we've continued to see uh, cow numbers drop. So we, we were down about 1% on cow numbers again from a year earlier. So we're, you're talking about 75,000, 80,000 milking heads that are missing from the herd from a year ago. Uh, and and kind of you take that milk production in, in the U.S. and you go look globally, uh, and you've got the EU down. Uh, they're down 1.7%. Uh, New Zealand, their February report was down 8.2%. Um, Australia, down 6.3%. Uh, Argentina, down 1%. So you've got the global milk production really running uh, at a deficit. Meanwhile, our demand has you know, continued to pick up post-COVID. We're seeing good numbers coming out of restaurants. Uh, demand has been very strong. And really, when you kind of dive into it, from the input side, I don't really see where we're going to see milk production pick up when you've got feed costs through the roof and potentially continuing to go through the roof uh, as we look at Ukraine, Russia. Um, and, you know, we're kind of staring down the barrel of when Ukraine needs to go plant their crop. Uh, and if that doesn't get in the ground the next couple of weeks, uh, you're going to only see, you know, feed costs globally rise, but especially in European regions. So they're going to have an extremely high input cost uh, environmentally. Uh, their legislation has been pushing for them to get rid of cows. So why would you not get out now? Um, 
when you're going to be looking at high input costs, right? So until, you know, we really start seeing cow numbers pick up uh, across the world, and especially in the U.S., it feels like this market can potentially remain pretty supportive. Am I correct in, in saying, Zach, that right now milk prices look good for the producer, but it's the high input costs, the tight margins that are kind of a disincentive to add numbers to the herd? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're we're looking at record high milk prices. Uh, you're looking at $25 milk uh, across the board. Um, and normally speaking, we'd be ecstatic about those prices. Uh, but when you're also looking at $8 corn and um, protein prices that are at, you know, 500 bucks a ton for, for feed meal, um, you add labor costs in there, diesel and energy, um, everything else, it's, it's not exactly the margins that you guys were expecting to be at when you talk about $25 milk. So there's really not a lot of incentive to grow from that perspective. Uh, and then from the perspective of just processing capacity, there's not really room for guys to grow. Uh, not a lot of processors are willing to take on more milk right now because most of them are running full. Um, so it's going to be, I think, extremely difficult in the coming months for us to actually add cows, uh, kind of for those two two big reasons. But you said demand is up, so it's kind of unfortunate. We we want to get this milk out there. Why is demand looking so good? Uh, I mean, demand, we're just looking at the recovery post-COVID year. Um, you know, so restaurants, which were obviously hurt the most um, in this and who are very large consumers of dairy, especially in the butter and cheese space, um, are now, you know, starting to really recover. Um, and especially as we're going to walk into the summer months, um, you know, where, where that demand is going to continually even go higher and potentially seasonally from a milk production standpoint, milk could go lower, right? So uh, we definitely need the milk and the market's telling us we need it. That's why we have $25 milk, but it's just difficult to do, Um but I think kind of on the flip side for listeners, something that we want to really keep an eye on here is, you know, fundamentally we can talk supply side all we want and now we could go be $25, $30 milk, right, because there's no milk. But at the same time, there's a lot of macro uh, things going on that could really hurt demand. Um, you know, when we start seeing these inflation numbers come out, when we see dairy products going up so much, when we see oil and gas prices um, increasing, you know, tenfold, uh, or 10%, I should say, in every other week, right? Uh, you're going to have less money in the pocket of the consumer to go to those restaurants, whether they're open or not. Uh, you're going to have mo- le- less money in their pocket to look at um, buying those heavier natural cheeses that draw a premium price, right? So you, there is, uh, as excited and as supportive of we are about the dairy market, um, there are some things out there in the world right now that make it a little bit nerve-wracking, from a demand side um, with everything going on in the world. Great point, Zach. And folks listening that want to get a hold of you or access EverEggs services, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I mean, as always, check out our website, everegg.com. Reach out to any of us uh, via phone, email. Um, We're happy to talk about how we can help you guys navigate some of these crazy, crazy markets right now. Thank you so much, Zach, for joining us this morning. Again, that's Zach Bowers with EverEgg. E-V-E-R dot A-G. Thank you so much for taking along with me on a Thursday. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.